This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everybody, Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy, Ken Campbell. It's the Hockey News Podcast presented by Christian Hockey and we are live. Don't forget, so if you have questions for our mailbag later, start sending those puppies in. It could even be a, a diss of Ryan Kennedy or Ken or me. We really enjoyed those uh, last week, so bring them all. Oh, yeah, all four, okay. man. So let's get some hockey talk, fellas. Uh, I, I think we have to start with the New Jersey Devils. It's what's on everyone's mind. Even if we were, we were looking and we were getting some questions on our main Twitter account, and everything was about the Devils, seemingly. 0-4-2, horrible start. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get into the numbers, but every way you slice it, it's not like they're doing one thing poorly. They're doing everything poorly. Jack Hughes, no points so far. First overall pick. Uh, so let's just start with the Devils. We're going to get to Jack Hughes and John Hines, the coach, but let's start with the Devils as a team. What is wrong with them, and can we even blame a single thing, or where do you start? Well, it's it's. I think it's a case of Murphy's Law. Like, everything that could possibly be going wrong right now is going wrong, and... Um, I mean, you were very bullish on them at the beginning of the season, right? Like, you, I like you, you them ca- to be exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But that's the funny thing. They actually have the shoot, fewest shot attempts per 60 minutes in the league. So right. they're not exciting either. That's right. what and, I'm and they're not, about. But, but, they're, but at the other end of the spectrum, they are what we thought they were, and that's yeah. not a very good team defensively, right? Um, you know, I mean... <sighs> It's it's hard to put it like you say it's hard to put your finger on one thing, like everything just seems to be going south on these guys at the same time, and I guess I don't know I mean if if that continues then you know I mean then do you trade Taylor Hall at the trade deadline or before and start you know start stockpiling for the future and start getting picks and and young prospects and and sort of start to build this thing all over again because it's pretty obvious that you know the model that they thought they were going to have hasn't really come to fruition I mean you know we thought Wayne Simmons was going to be fairly slow and after last year he has been pretty slow um we didn't think their defense was going to be very good and it hasn't been very good their team defense hasn't been very good we thought jack hughes was going to be better i did anyways but i look back you know joe thornton had seven points in his first rookie year in his rookie year in the nhl um you know three goals uh steven stamkos i think it took him 10 games to get a point. Seven, 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 seven games, games to get a goal, point. And yeah. first, seven games are without a point, and first goal was in he, game nine. He's going to be fine. I, I've watched their games, and, and I'm, I'm really, like, I've watched a couple of their games, and I'm, I'm really surprised at how out of his element Jack Hughes looks. Like, it's not just bad luck. It, like, he looks a little bit lost. So th- this is going to be a long-term thing. It's not, this turns out this wasn't going to be a quick fix. No, and for me, it's it's all the newness. Like, if, if you need to point to something in particular, it's tough. They're 0 for 18 on the power play. Wow. That's going to change. They're going to score a power play goal at some point. They're 57% on the penalty kill. That will improve, I would believe. But you have to look at all these new elements that they brought in over the summer. It's not just Jack Hughes and Wayne Simmons. It's P.K. Subban. It's Nikita Gusev. These guys all have to learn to play with each other and to learn with the guys that were already there, your Taylor Halls, your Kyle Palmieri's. I think it's just a matter of this crew has not gelled yet, and unfortunately it sort of splayed all over the league because a lot of people thought the Devils could surprise because they had these shiny new toys. But I think what we're seeing is a team that is still getting used to each other that hasn't figured out 
who goes perfectly with who. And, you know, they haven't forged their identity as a unit yet. And, you know, I, I think you and I were kind of in the same boat where it's like, are the devils going to be good? No, they'll be fun. And, I mean, like you said, they've been shut out two of their past four games. Yeah, where's my fun? So that's Come not on. fun. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fun if you were, like, a Boston fan. Yeah. You know, but if you're a New Jersey fan, you know, times is hard. And I think they will get better as time goes on, but I don't ever think that this is supposed yeah. to be a one-year turnaround. I think this, yeah. you know, if they're ha- if they're bad next year, I mean, depending on what happens with Taylor Hall and some other guys, it's like, then you have an issue. But this year was like... You know, let's just see what we have yeah, here. You, you picked first these overall, guys. so you, you were bad. First overall, yeah, you were bad. You don't get to go directly to good. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they've blown a couple of big leads too. Mm-hmm. They they can't yes. hang on to a lead. Um, it like I said, it just seems like everything is going south for them. And I I mean, this one doesn't look like I don't know. To me, it doesn't look like there's a big turnaround on the horizon. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you are what you're, it's always been, you are what your record says you are. So the, the, the New Jersey Devils are the worst team in the NHL and they're all four and two. Um, you know, I mean, is that going to change much? Like, I don't know. I mean, right. is Corey Schneider going to start winning games for them? And that's uh, the problem. I think that the biggest thing to look for in early season trends is, is something crazy happening or, you know, a team with an extreme record, is it confirming anything that you were worried about? If it's not the case, then it's probably a fluke. But in New Jersey's case, it's like, well, we were concerned about the goaltending between mm-hmm. Blackwood and Schneider. Both goalies are, are sort of, instead of trying to beat each other out for the starting job, they're out losing each other. Right. Both guys are way below 900 in the save percentage. Yep. And I think you've got a chain reaction there. And you could even tie it all the way to Jack Hughes, in my opinion, because they're not generating chances. Like I said, fewer shot attempts. Their penalty killing's bad. Their goaltending's bad. Everything's going wrong. I think if this team was winning, or even 500, if you're Jack Hughes, you're probably feeling less pressure to press. Mm-hmm. But right now, he's probably thinking, my team is terrible. We haven't won a game. I haven't done anything. I have to be the guy to, to contribute and pull us out of this. So I think that the team struggling is actually making it worse for Jack Hughes. Uh, but it's worth noting, Stamkos didn't score until that ninth game, and then he scored twice right. in that game. So right. I do think we can probably predict that it'll, when it rains, it'll pour for, for Jack Hughes. Uh, but I want to talk about John Hines. And, you know, it's tough sometimes to identify what the problem is. It's like, you know, it's not the coach's job to stop the puck. But if a team that looked good offensively on paper isn't getting any chances, if both sides of special teams are terrible, usually that's a reflection of coaching. So do you think it's too soon to point a crosshair? Crosshairs? I think it's a, they call it a crosshairs, even though it sounds like it's singular. Crosshairs. At John Hines. I think it's too soon. Yeah. I think that Ray Shiro is trying to build a culture in New Jersey, and he has his guy in John Hines. This is... You know, a speed bump to be sure, but I think Ray Shiro gives John Hines the time to work through this and to put his stamp on this group, which, as I said before, is is still coming together. There's a lot of disparate parts that have been added to this lineup that are still trying to figure out where they all fit together. I think you give John Hines the chance to put that together. And, you know, I know we're only a couple of weeks into the season, but... If this New Jersey team plays better in the last quarter of the season than they do the first three quarters, then I think that's enough for Ray Shiro to go into the summer saying, yeah, like, let's give John another chance 
at least to the beginning of next season to really pull this group together because you don't want to start going through coaches when you're on the upswing. I mean, the, the Devils were rebuilding. They're not done yet. I think John Hines needs time to make this group his own. But uh, by the same token, if they keep losing... If they keep losing and losing and losing and losing, then you have to do something. Like and and, and that, that seems to be the easiest thing to do, is to, is to get rid of the coach. I mean, Ratio could have fired uh, John Hines after last year. It, it, not fired him. Actually, not just not renewed his contract. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even have been a firing. Mm-hmm. He just he didn't need to renew his contract. And they were one of the worst teams in the NHL last year. So you you knew what you had in the coach, and you knew what he was capable of, and you knew what he had to work with, and you deemed that it wasn't the coach that was the problem here. That that was the the shortcoming here. And I don't believe it is. I think John Hines is an excellent coach, an excellent tactical coach, mm-hmm. and I think this is a real. There's just a real, like you say, either. Either it has it, it ha, they haven't gelled, or there's. I think there's a serious deficiency of talent too mm-hmm. uh, here as well. So I mean, I, I, I mean, you had that chance. You know, you, you're going to sign him to a, th- I think, a two or three year extension, mm-hmm. and then fire him eight games into the season. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still a little bit worried about John Hines because even though you know we in this room feel feel like the Devils are in a long term rebuild, some of the decisions they made in the offseason, bringing in PK Subban, trading for Gusev, signing Wayne Simmons, that sent a message that they were trying to kind of throttle up and and get good in a hurry again. Especially also Taylor Hall, he's someone you sort of want to impress, you want to convince him that this is a place you want to stay. Uh, and to me, that puts a little bit of heat, at least on what the Devils think they think they are, to get good and get better in a hurry within this season. Uh, and we have seen the pattern in the past where a team, you know, it's almost like if you're going to make that firing, you got to do it really early or wait a long time. It's like the Blackhawks in, in 08-09, around this point in the season, they axed Denny Savard because they felt like they are a much better team on paper, and it worked. They brought in Joel mm-hmm. Quenville. Uh, Columbus did it, bringing in John Tortorella when they had the big losing streak a few years back. Uh, so, so you do see it. It wouldn't surprise me that much, whether it's fair or not to Hines. Uh, but I, I do think, especially when you look at look at it through the Taylor Hall lens, it's like you got to you got to show them that there's a winning culture here to be part of, even though I know some of it falls on Taylor Hall's shoulders. But if you want to convince him to stay, if this team can't win any games, are you going to lose him? I don't know. Uh, so we're going to flip the coin now and look at the Edmonton Oilers. This is a team that has also been a surprise for a different reason. Five wins in their first six games. Uh, and, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl at the top of the scorer's table. Right. Uh, so... What do we think? Is this a hot start or is this a mirage? Uh, I'm very much team mirage and I have a lot of numbers yeah. to back it up. Uh, but maybe I'll let you guys talk about it first and then I'll make my case if, if you don't agree with me. Mm. Well, I'll be glass half full. Uh-huh. Um, James Neal, back on track. That was a huge X factor coming into this season. What could he bring to this team that he could not in Calgary? So far, so good with James Neal. Also, they're off to this great start with Adam Larson on the shelf, one of their top defensemen, one of their big minute munchers. So what I see is at least a team that has a fighting chance to take this hot start and parlay it into a playoff position. I'm not saying that the Edmonton Oilers are going to be world beaters, but I think what they've done so far... I mean, this could be a drastically different story. They could be in New Jersey territory if, you know, James Neal 
didn't turn things around if the defense fell apart with Adam Larson gone. But we haven't seen that. We've seen Edmonton persevere early on, and I think that those good vibes can at least take them so far that they should be a competent team the rest of the way. I wonder what you would have said if you if you told somebody, you know, your best player, best player in the world is going to be coming off a PCL injury. Your one of your top four defensemen is going to break his leg. You're going to have two rookies on the blue line, uh, and you're the Edmonton Oilers, and you're going to go five and zero. You know, I mean, yeah. five and zero is five and zero. Yeah, it's 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 a five game winning streak whether you do it in October or you do it in the middle of February or you do it down the stretch. It's a five game winning streak, and that should not be discounted. I, I'm I'm a bit in the mirage category as well, though. Um, they get outchanced a lot. Yeah, I got some yeah. numbers for you. Yeah. To, 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 yeah, that's, uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, but, they, they, uh, get, they get outchanced a lot, and so that suggests to me that they're relying heavily. On a goaltending, on a goaltending tandem of of Mike Smith and uh, and Miko um, Koskinen. Exactly. See the Miko fact Koskin. that it took a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like who yeah, again? So, yeah, yeah. Miko I mean, Koskinen. Is, is that going to keep up? Is their power play going to be that good all the time? Is it, you know is James Neal's shooting percentage going to be 150? Is you know I mean I, I mean is that going to keep? Is Zach Cassian going to keep playing the way he does, mm-hmm. uh, the way he has been? Uh, you know maybe. I I would think that there's going to be. A regression to the what is it? A regression to the norm or whatever? Regression to the mean. Regression yeah. to the mean at some point. Um, does that mean the Edmonton Oilers are toast? No, it means maybe now. I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to win five out of every six games. But you know, maybe they are hanging around for a playoff spot. Maybe mm-hmm. they are. You know, because th- they can. That you can sustain that level of play and be a periphery playoff team. I don't think you can be one of the great teams. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm willing to cut the Oilers some slack. They were on the fo- on the fourth game of a four-game road trip yesterday. Um, or was it Sunday? I can't remember. Uh, one of those days recently when they lost to Chicago 3-1. Um, but they looked like a tired team. And it was a game where Dreisaitl and McDavid didn't do much. And they were they they were pretty well outclassed in that and, game. And that, that's what exposed one of the yeah. weaknesses of the yeah. Oilers. They're still very reliant on, on their upper crust of their of their forward group, right? They're not getting any depth scoring right now at all. Um, and if you look at their six opponents, five of their six opponents so far were not yeah. playoff teams from last year. Yeah, easy schedule. They are dead last in the NHL in shots per 60 minutes at 5-on-5. Five five. They're 23rd in Corsi. Um, and I, I just... <sighs> If you look at each of their individual games, it's not like okay, I'm looking. I'm just glossing over a big stat, saying oh, they're, they're not getting many chances, and but maybe that was from one bad game. No, five out of their six games, the exception being the game against the Rangers, they were outchanced, outshot, attempted by the other team. So they've been consistently outplayed territorially. So they've been pretty lucky, lucky with the schedule in terms of the quality of, yeah. of opponent, uh, and just the, the way that they're playing, the flow of the game, it's just not sustainable. And I, I feel bad. I don't want to just dump on this hot start because hey, wins are wins they count and you can't take those wins away it's going to give Edmonton a little head start but you know this team's five and one now I'm not saying that the Oilers are going to be dead last in the NHL I'm not saying oh this is this is the worst team in the league it's a total facade but I'm saying you know they're five and one and I would not be surprised if several weeks from now they're you know eight six and two and then after another month or so they're you know, 15, 13, and 3, and they're drifting slowly, slowly closer back to 500, maybe below, because 
the just flow of their game. They're they're being outplayed. The pucks are going in the net more on their end, but that's yeah. a lot of it is puck luck, shooting percentage. So and they're having to rely on comebacks a lot. They've had mm-hmm. to, they've had to come back. I think in almost every game they've won. Um, and and that that's you know I mean that's not really sustainable. I don't think you can't dig yourself into a hole all the time and expect to you know your your two best players to pull you out of it every single time. Mm-hmm. So next we're going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Just a reminder, everybody, live, we're going to be taking questions later, so keep the questions coming and we'll get through some. Uh, Buffalo Sabres, this is another team that has started really hot, one of the best teams in the East right now. But the thing with the Sabres is they did this last year. Remember, I, I, it was a certain game, it was, it was a televised game against the Leafs, and everyone, everyone was talking about, oh, this is this big match of Eastern Conference Titans, and the Sabres, I think, at the time were first overall in the NHL. November I think they, 27th, yeah, they were first overall around, in the yeah. NHL. So we've seen this movie before, or have we? And I'm looking deeper at the way the Sabres are playing. Like, they've got the best power play in the league. Uh, Victor Olofsson seems to be just absolute magic. I think he's the first player ever to open his career with five or seven goals in a row that are all in the power play. Yeah. Uh, they're a positive possession team, new coach. So I'm kind of wondering if the Sabres are for real this time and if we should actually take them seriously. But uh, do you guys agree or disagree? I think I think of the two teams that we're talking about, if you're picking one that's for real, I'm going with the Buffalo Sabres mm-hmm. far ahead of the Edmonton Oilers um, for a couple of reasons. Um, last year when they won all those games, I, I remember there were a bunch of games they won in overtime and shootouts where they were completely, and it was one of those things where, you, no, you just can't sustain this. Not There's no chance you can sustain this kind of play and keep winning games. And they were winning a lot of games that they shouldn't have won, and they could have just as easily lost those games. Um, I think now, like, they're a deeper team. I mean, they're really deep. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. especially fourth, on defense. Li- yeah. The fourth line is Gergensen's, Larson's, and Kyle Pozo. Yeah. Larson and Kyle Pozo. It's a very expensive fourth line, <laughs> but it's a good fourth yeah, line. For a fourth too. line, that's not yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Sabotka's been a lot better. Uh, Marco Scandal has been a lot better. Two guys that were basically in a black hole last year. Um, and again, you know, you look at the most recent game, their four nothing game win against Dallas. They were they were surgical. They were surgical in that game. They gave up like th- thirteen shots in the first two periods. They didn't give up. They almost they gave up almost nothing in in much of that game. I think you know Carter Hutton was saying that he had like four or five tough saves to make all game. Um, you know, so th- that kind of level of hockey, you can see that being sustained. You couldn't see it as much last year, I don't think. Yeah, and I again, you know, we we talked about coaching earlier on. With Ralph Kruger, he's such a big culture guy, and he's so good at bringing teams together, sometimes in a very short period of time, like with the World Cup of Hockey. Yeah. So it's it's not too surprising to see him come into Buffalo and establish himself and his team early on because he's done it before. I also think when you look at this team, I mean, you're totally right about the depth. I mean, Jack Eichel's been waiting for this. Yeah. Jack Eichel has been great in his NHL career so far, and there's been zero payoff. But now he's starting to get a core around him. He's getting a guy like Victor Olofsson to augment, you know, align with Sam Reinhart. Right. Where Sam Reinhart, I think last year we saw him play very well. He's continuing that on. The defense is beginning to be fleshed out here. Rasmus Dahlin, you know, good as a rookie, but still improving. And because he has such a high ceiling, we're seeing a a very nice ascent from him already. 
no sophomore slump from uh, Darlene, which is very nice for them. I guess my my only concern would be like, you know, is the goaltending for real mm-hmm. versus what we saw from Hutton and Allmark last year? Not sure about that, but when you're playing so well in front of the goalies and not giving up a lot of shots, it kind of minimizes the risk there. So I think, I mean, the Sabres, they're in a really nice spot right now. And I guess the only thing to say is for them, they can't get rattled when they lose to good teams. You know, like if, they, if, if they're playing Toronto and they get blown out or, or lose a bad one at home. Or to Boston or, like or to one Boston of the, yeah, Tampa, or Tampa, you know. you know, one of the Titans in that division. It's like, don't worry about it. This is a process you're going through. You guys are a team on the rise. Don't worry about the highs and lows. Because I think that was a big thing last year is when they started losing, it was like the sky was falling in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Like you heard it all over the talk radio there, you know, sports talk radio. And I, I think they have to minimize the highs and lows. And I think Ralph Kruger's a good coach for that. Yeah, that that's the key. You, even going back to the Ryan O'Reilly comments a couple of years ago and, and Jack Eichel, who's been, you know, he's, he's been sometimes negative in the press when the team is yeah. just in a bad... Yeah. He, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve in those situations. Uh, but you wonder, Ralph Kruger, a guy who... He seems to be someone known for positivity and just yeah. being able to rally the troops. And I know that's not a tangible thing, but... You do wonder if that's going to come in handy later if they enter deep waters. We'll see. I think too. I, th- I think they've done a pretty good job of putting Rasmus Dahlin in a in in situations where he can succeed. I mean, you, you're big on looking under the hood. His offensive zone starts are are way ahead of his defensive yeah, zone more than seventy percent. His, his his ice time, I think, is is has been cut a bit. And I also think, I mean, Bristolainen and McCabe are doing all virtually all the heavy lifting defensively uh, on that team, and so that that. Puts puts Darlene in a position where because I, I've watched some games and he's he's been a bit spotty with the puck, uh, particularly in the neutral zone. He's really given it away a few times. And the good thing is is that they they're they're able to say, okay, look, that was, you know, you, you know, that was that was last shift. Get out there and you know try try something again. He's not afraid to try. He's not afraid to lose the puck. He's not afraid to to fail. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it too. For sure. And again, he's still a child, so he's going to make mistakes. Yeah, All children make mistakes, and he is one. So, uh, Washington Capitals had an interesting game uh, on Monday. Three shots on Braden Holpe. Three goals. Holpe gets pulled. He called it himself. Unacceptable. Ilya Samsonov comes into the game. And, uh, you know, Coach Todd Reardon took some questions after. And he didn't, you know, he still was committing, for the most part, to Braden Holtby as a starter, but he also seemed to leave the door open that, hey, you know, if Ilya Samsonov forces his hand, he's going to get more opportunities. Uh, So, you know, you look at the fact that Braden Holtby is a UFA this summer, and Washington's cap situation is pretty dire looking forward as well. He's going to be a hard guy to sign. They have to sign Nicholas Backstrom as well. So if you factor in Samsonov, one of the best goalie prospects on earth, and now is getting his chance, Holtby's been struggling. 846 save percentage to start the year, and last two seasons he had 907, 911, so his game has been in decline. You know, are his numbers, or are his days numbered uh, as a capital? And would you consider trading him during the season. You would love to see that, wouldn't you? It would be, it would be fun. Yeah, you've been calling that forever. I want to look good, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, so I'm still calling just, him to Calgary just, next year. you agenda here. That's all. That's, you uh, just yeah. got your own I'm agenda. I'm just steering everything That's toward it, yeah. what I wrote. We saw this movie two years ago. Yeah. Not quite <laughs> as horror-filled as this one, but we saw this movie two years ago, and 
it ended up okay. Um, no, I, th- I think the leash is going to be a lot longer for Braden Holtby than than that. Um, but that being said, I mean, if Ilya Samsonov outplays him, he's going to get the net. And Braden Holtby will be watching a lot of games as a very, very highly paid backup. Um, it, like, what, what benefit do you get from trading him when his value is as low as it's probably ever been in his career? Right. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's... He's an unrestricted free agent next year, and he's playing not well. I, I can't imagine that, you know, that that would enhance his trade value very much. Um, I think there's, I think between Braden Holby and the Washington Capitals, it goes beyond. Like everything's based on performance, but but there's a legacy there. You know what I mean? Like sure. it's he's a he's a capital. Like you think of Braden Holby, you think of him as a Washington Capital, right? You think of Nicholas Backstrom, you think of him as a Washington Capital. Those guys are going to get a lot more, I think, you know, rope than a lot of other guys might. And I think I think it would take an awful lot for the for the Capitals to to, to part with that. Um, I, I think he's capable of bouncing back, maybe not to the levels that he's been, but he doesn't have, again, this is a team where you don't have to be great. You mm-hmm. just have to be good. Mm-hmm. And I think he's capable of doing that. I think you have to treat Braden Holby the way that Columbus treated Sergei Bobrovsky last year, which is to say, you don't worry about the future. You don't worry about the summer. You worry about the here and now, because as Ken said, you just have to get into the playoffs and you know you can make magic with this group. How much longer can you make magic with this specific group? I don't know. But I think you have to do it. You, you got to try it one more time. So if Samsonov ends up playing 35, maybe even 40 games this season because Holby's game drops off, that's cool. If the playoffs start and Samsonov's your starter and he falters, you go to Holby. That's all good. If you start with Holby, maybe he's good right off the bat in the playoffs. But then you assess after the season. If Braden Holpe walks, then he walks. I, I don't think yeah. you can. You can't re-sign him to a you know a six seven year contract in Washington. It's just not prudent at this point in his career or where the Capitals are at. I think Samsonov right now. It's great that he'll have that security blanket that is Braden Holpe. Maybe next year he doesn't need it. Maybe it, it's that soon because. He is that good of a prospect, and we have seen him excel at high levels. But I like him having that security right now. And I think you, you push this conversation to the summer, and you see what happens yeah. in the playoffs, because you, you could win it all again. Right, And I actually think, in a way, this is the best-case scenario for the Washington Capitals, the way it's playing out, because you want Samsonov to take the starting job just financially. Yeah. Like, Holpe, based on contract comparables, he's going to have a strong case. He's one of Vezina, Stanley Cup. He's going to ask for the same contract as Bobrovsky. He's going to be the same age next summer as Bobrovsky. Seven years, $70 million is a perfect comparable contract. And I think if you're the Capitals, you want an excuse to not pay Holpe that contract. <laughs> yeah. The perfect excuse is, sorry, man, you know, you've had a great run, but our first-round pick prospect goalie he broke out this year and he's much cheaper than you and he's our goalie of the future and we don't have the money to save and we got to sign Nicholas Backstrom so I'm sure you understand man we got to pay Ilya Samsonov. Go get the money somewhere else. Yeah Yeah. exactly see I think you do want that to happen so if this if even even if you end up sticking with Holpe like you said in the playoffs if it's just an excuse for Samsonov to play more if there's a controversy and it means Samsonov gets 30-40 games that's great news for the Capitals future because you get a long look at Samsonov and it's the same reason why you know to steer it back to my 
my advice I gave before. In, <laughs> in fantasy leagues, I said be careful with Holtby because Washington is going to be looking for reasons to give Samsonov some work because they got to know what they have. Yeah. they got to know if they have well, that replacement. Well, the reality is Holtby's giving them a reason to give Samsonov work. Yes. For sure, they, they don't. They don't need a reason right now. They've got it. It's well, right no, I mean, eyes. they were looking for the yeah, excuse. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Well, and, now, and they found it. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, the LA Kings doing something pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's being pitched as like fan service. You know, honoring our fans. We love our fans. We're going to honor this superstition. Uh, there's a Taylor Swift banner in Staples Center in LA saying that she had the most sellouts in the arena, and it went up in it went up in August of 2015. And since then, coincidence, the Kings have not advanced past the first round of the playoffs. Mm. So well. does that mean uh, the Kings are right to you know, try and break this Taylor Swift curse? Uh, I'm going to posit that I think it's really sad because it coincides with just the Kings declining as a franchise. And you're going to try and blame it on Taylor Swift. Like haters gonna hate hate. hate oh hate. no no no! <laughs> the players actually should play play play. play I knew you were play. trouble when you walked in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man! Wow. Wow. That. No, that was that was brilliant. I'm sorry, but that was brilliant. I'm sorry, but that was brilliant. Oh thanks, uh, thanks, Kenny. No me. Oh. Not what I said. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's sad. Like I think it's like oh you're gonna you're gonna say it's Taylor Swift's fault that you, that you kind of well, suck now. Yeah. Uh, you know what other banner went up in 2015? Their last Stanley Cup banner. They haven't won a playoff well, series since 2014. It, went up. They no, won. it went up in 2015. Oh, well, oh no, it would have gone up in the fall of 2014. Yeah, right? 2014. Yeah. Okay, so so but they have won one playoff game since they put up their last Stanley Cup banner. It's they Taylor made the Swift's playoffs fault. twice and won one playoff game. So should they be covering up their Stanley Cup banners too? Shouldn't mm. they be covering those up? Those ones have been. Uh, That's those meta. Ones have been been presiding over this demise as well and you could you could probably argue it's more because of the Stanley Cup banners that they're the way they are than it is about Taylor Swift yeah. being the way they are I like the meta-ness Hart's off to a great start has anybody noticed he's off to a great start after a horrible season last season he's off to a pretty good yeah, that's start how he, he... but there are some some elements of that Stanley Cup team that are still there that uh, are part of the reason why they are where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think when the Lakers play, they have the banner covered already. This is like a big thing. Maybe the Clippers too. But I will say this. you know, There was also the Drake curse where whatever game he went to, like, yeah. you know, the Toronto team would lose. Or even like if he went to a boxing match, that guy would lose if yeah. he met with him. But then the Raptors won the the NBA championship. But didn't Drake wear Drake Milwaukee Bucks underwear or something? something like yeah, or, or, or 76ers yeah. underwear. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I guess he does have like a Golden State tattoo. He's got like a couple of the guys' numbers. So maybe that counts as like a reverse jinx. Well, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Rangers at, at MSG have had various banners up for Billy Joel. I think most uh, most consecutive nights play like 13 or 14 or something mm-hmm. like that. Most sellouts, this, that, and the most other thing. Most houses hit with cars. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> but... You know, I mean, they're not blaming Billy Joel for the fact that they've only won one Stanley Cup. Maybe they should be. Uh, so Billy Joel's fault they've only won one Stanley Cup. He's gotten off with too lightly here with yeah. the Rangers' No, do not blame Uptown Girl for any of this, okay? That was his one and only horrible song, and let's leave it at that. I'd okay. rather listen to Uptown Girl than, like, River of Dreams or whatever it's called. Really, eh? Well, yeah. maybe you and I can't be friends then. Were we? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
All right, enough Billy Joel, enough Taylor Swift. Let's get back to the hockey. Uh, we're going to take some questions now. Just want to give another shout-out to our sponsor, Christian Hockey. Uh, the first question is from uh, Teddy Peppers, Teddy Peppers 67. Peppers. It seems like a, a nickname, so I'm gonna, I want to say it with an accent. Yeah. Uh, what do you think Montreal will do to improve their defensive game? Well, uh, you know, I think the problem with the Habs right now is, you know, if you look at Victor Mete and, and, and Shea Weber, you got Brett Kulak and, and Jeff Petrie. That's like your sort of de facto top four. And I think that's kind of the problem. I think Montreal in the last few seasons, they're taking players who are not true top four defensemen. I think, you know, you can say Shea Weber still isn't Jeff Petrie, but you're shoehorning guys that are better off in the bottom six. I mean, Victor Mete... Uh, underrated guy and pretty good defensively new new school uh, uh, kind of you know mobile defensive defenseman um, but just looking at that blue line as a whole you know what do you need you need an actual additional top four defenseman so to and me I got him in Carl Alsner he's right there oh yeah yeah um, <laughs> actually he's in Laval but yeah, yeah. but I, I think you need to be looking at a trade if you're Mark Bergevin if you if you feel like your team wants to contend, and that seems to be the way Bergevin behaves right now, he's, he's operating under the assumption his team can compete for a playoff spot, then you need to be on the market for an actual top four defenseman. It's not that their group is terrible, but it's just every guy seems to be playing you know, a pair up compared to where he should yes. be, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it would help if they killed penalties better. I mean, yeah. a third of their goals that they've given up this year have been on the on the penalty kill on power they've been power play goals against their their power play their penalty kill is fourth worst in the league um so that's that's one thing um i don't think carry price has been vintage carry price um i think that's been part of it as well um so and and i don't know i mean they've got you know they've got some guys who are 200 foot players but they've got a lot of guys who aren't mm-hmm. forwards who aren't 200 foot players either yeah. like let's let's be let's be a candid about that right yeah. so i i'm i'm not willing to put it all on the defense um they've been terrible killing penalties really bad killing penalties that you know you, you shore that up and that that takes a couple of goals against off right there so yeah i think you really nailed it there with overall team structure that not helping the defense. I also feel like Montreal has rushed some guys up. Like Victor Mete has been there a long time. Yeah, he's not a he's yeah. not an old fellow. Yeah, I can't wait till he scores a goal. Oh, I know. That'd Someday awesome. it's That'd so awesome. it's bizarre that he has yeah. Victor yeah. Mete versus Jack Hughes. We should get a pool going. Who scores first? <laughs> oh man. But I mean, yeah, Mete was an example, and then like Noah Juleson, who's had some bad injury problems yeah, that have hurt his career. Playing. But like Kale Fleury has already played in the NHL, and it's like, it seems too early for those guys. Like these were not like blue chip prospects; these were kind of second, third tier prospects that found their way into the Montreal lineup because there was nobody else there. I think you need to bring in some older guys to fill those spots and let these young guys develop a little more and then maybe you hit it lucky with like an Alexander Romanov who's playing over in Russia right now had a great world juniors last year you know he'll be very prominent for the Russians again this time in the Czech Republic but you need to get those guys over here get them in the pipeline developing and then when they're ready bring them in and I think that's probably what they were trying to do when they Signed Carl Alsner. Yeah, it didn't work out. Nope. But I think you have to you got to keep trying because you you have to have everybody on the same page and you have to have everybody coming in when they're right mm-hmm. and when they're ripe. And I don't think Montreal's done that in the Mark Bergevin era. Fair. 
Uh, next one is from Tyler Hart. Tyler asks, the Penguins have played well in the last couple of games, even though they're missing a significant portion of their NHL roster. How long will they be able to sustain the momentum from these wins? And when when, uh, when will we see them need their top guys back? Uh, what's interesting about this one is I was the guy that was kind of warning people about the Penguins, <laughs> and I was saying they might miss the playoffs and they haven't done enough. But I'm actually going to go the other way for this question. and Because even though I said that, I didn't, I wasn't saying the Penguins were going to be bad. I was just saying they're going to be on the bubble and maybe just outside the bubble. But what's what's really interesting about the Penguins franchise and has been for the last half decade or so is they just get such good production out of Wilkes-Barre Scranton mm-hmm. in the AHL. It seems to be whoever they bring up, whether it's Teddy Bluger or you know now it's it's Sam Lafferty who's been mm-hmm. quite a surprise early yeah. on this season. Uh, whoever comes up from the farm, their development system, wherever they're playing in the system. Uh, seems to arrive just NHL ready somehow and it was Brian Rust it was Connor Sheary a while back yeah, Jake yeah. Gensel and these are always guys that are not you know first round picks elite prospects and the Penguins just it, they remind me of the Lightning that way they're able to just get a lot of production out of their system and they just do a great job developing their sort of mid-tier uh, or sort of diamond in the rough type yeah, of prospect picks too without yeah, picks. Zach Aston Reese yeah. is a guy of course yeah. as yeah. well uh, so I, I think based on that they just it's like something that's instilled in the culture the way they play under Mike Sullivan I, I think they can tread water. Uh, whether they make the playoffs is a bigger question, but I, I think they can still, you know, I could see them s- staying, you know, 500 or better for most of, of Jenny Malkin's absence. It wouldn't surprise me that much. Yeah, I mean, they they put they put up they keep putting up seven spots during yeah, yeah. games. <laughs> yeah. Last two games they've scored seven goals, and Crosby's only had two points in both of those games. So it's, it hasn't just been all, you know, the Sidney Crosby show here. So. Um, I mean, they've. I think this is a team that they know who they are. They know what they are. They know what their identity is, and they've played long stretches without of Jenny Malkin before. They've done it before. He's he's been hurt for long periods of time before. They've thrived. They've done okay. I, I think they're you know like you say they're just they. I think their their organization is built such that um, when these guys do come up, they they're already playing a style that. That they're already playing a style that they know and that they're comfortable playing. They know where they fit. They know that you know they know they know there's going to be a decent chance that one of them is going to be playing with Sidney Crosby yeah. at some point because everybody's going to get hurt and he's going to end up playing with two <laughs> yeah. third line guys. It's funny being able to yeah. tell the guys that on the farm, like, "Come on, get your head in the game. You could be playing with Crosby in next the NHL week. next week." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but it gets the truth. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you know. It might not all be Crosby, but a lot of it is Crosby, not just in, in terms of his actual production, but the example he sets and the confidence he gives other players. Like, you see some of the, the plays and moves that Dominic Simon makes, and yeah. they're excellent, and they're perfect for playing with Sidney Crosby. I think there's, like, a confidence there where, you know, we, we've heard tons of stories about Crosby telling his young line mates like go there do this and I will score and if they do it and and play with that kind of not aggression but that kind of uh, confidence then they can get results and you know with Zach Aston Reese it's like as long as he stands in front of the net with his big body he can get goals and points and that's what he's been doing and you know again with Sam Lafferty it's just like do your job. You know, you were doing it early with Wilkes-Barre yeah. Scranton. Come up, do it here. And I think if they're just doing what they already know, 
that will get them very far, and Sidney Crosby can kind of fill in the blanks. He's just he just like continues to do all the spade work, eh? Like yeah. he's just you see him out there, and he's the hardest working guy. He's controlling the puck, he's driving the net, he's doing all those things that he's done all of his career, and he just continues to do it. Mm-hmm. Like he he's been a marvel. He has really been a marvel. Mm-hmm. I hope he. I oh, I don't hope, but. I suspect he will still be in that Selkie conversation for a while. Right, but as, and I I asked him about that like in yeah. June. I said, "Is this on your bucket list thing to it be?" Is on and his he said, list. "Well, he wants to win yeah." The worst but he said, as he said, he was like, "But he's like, I have, there's only two spots open per year because Bergeron always has one of them." So he's yeah. like, "I'm going for two spots," and I was like, "Ah, that's fair. Good yeah. point." Yeah. You know. Uh, next one is from Brian Sandoval. Brian says, "Will the Panthers be buyers at the deadline? Maybe for a top four defenseman?" Well. Uh, the cue to the next round of Ken versus Matt debate. Uh, I, I think they'll be buyers because I think they'll be good, but it hasn't been, you know, the smoothest start as usual for the Panthers. Uh, well, they're at, they're, at least they're at 500. Yeah, that's, hey, that's well, improvement. I, they're, they're at that full 500. Yeah, but so that's something. Yeah, they're two, two and two or something like they're that. They're at NHL 500. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're actually two and four, but they're two, two and two. That's something. Which is, yeah. which is for Florida, is like. You know, bring out the party hats. Yeah, for, plan for, the parade. For yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I do. You know, Sergei Bobrovsky, as we've said many times, he's always weakest in October. So it's not a big surprise that he started slowly. I could not be less worried about him. It's just his pattern for whatever reason. That's how he plays. October is his worst month statistically. Uh, so I, I do see a future in which the Panthers are good. I like all the talent on their roster, and I, I see them being buyers. But are they buyers for a top four defenseman? That's where I'm. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's what they're, yeah. they need because they got key. Yandel, you got Michael Matheson, you got Aaron Eckblad, whether it's Strawman or whoever's coming up, you know, yeah. it's going to be probably a rotating cast. Uh, but I think if the Panthers are in the market for something, it might be, you know, more depth scoring or a legitimate second line right winger mm. because they, they're trying different guys in that second line spot. Uh, I think that would be what you look for before you go for a top four defenseman. I think their defense is going to be pretty good, as is. I wonder if you are buying, it's more that you're getting an experienced, like, Ryan Boyle type of guy mm. Mm. where because you have the high end offense and you look at what Jonathan Huberdeau has done so far this season he's been I mean he's been great yeah. and he was he put up a ton of points last year as well Barkoff is obviously the guy you know yeah. as your number one center you you have a pretty good growing group of forwards but maybe it's one of those things where you just add that one character guy that can do the little things that you need Maybe a guy who's like the been difference. there before. <laughs> guy that's been there yeah, before. Yeah, guy that's been there before. Yeah, yeah, other than your head coach. Right. Um, and you're just kind of augmenting because I think you have a pretty good foundation. It was just it was on paper the Panthers were always very interesting. It was just the actual execution and find, finding wins. You know, like finding consistent wins and and actually doing it. Yeah, and I mean, at, at the trade deadline, if the Florida Panthers are in a position where they're actually not selling and they are that quote-unquote sort of in the buyer category, it, it means they're putting together a pretty good season and maybe they don't need to go out and get anybody other than a Michael Hanzus kind of guy, a Michael right. Kempney kind of guy, one of those depth guys mm-hmm. that everyone says at the trade deadline just goes, oh yeah, he was traded for a third-round pick, yeah. whatever. And then in the final, you're all like, whoa. Like I was the steal of the trade deadline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take one more question. This is from Jake Lahoot. I think it's Lahoot. 
Lahoot sounds like a fun way to pronounce the name. Sure. Hopefully that's right, Jake. Uh, and Jake says, what's going on in Detroit? Their lineup is hard to decipher each night beyond the Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha unit. Agreed. And the prospects are all in Grand Rapids. Are they just trying to protect their prospects from Seattle or Stevie Y embracing some sort of center-heavy shutdown approach? Uh, I think the answer is neither. I think the answer is just that the Red Wings, and it, it traces all the way back to Ken Holland and, you know, even yeah. further back to yeah. just the, their system that Jimmy Devilano built. And, and it's just, it's a it's a franchise that has always just played things really slowly with its kids. And I think, to Steve Eiserman's credit, he recognizes that this team is very, very far away from, from winning a Stanley Cup. And, you know, it, it's kind of disappointing, especially seeing Michael Rasmussen go back down, like when he was a full-timer last year. Uh, and, you know, you want to see Zadina break through and finally be a full-time NHLer. You're hoping that somebody's going to make the team. But at the same time, if you are looking at the big picture, uh, you know, the team might be better with a lot of those kids on it. So if you keep all those kids down then the team might have a better chance of not being as good and then a better chance of getting another really high pick, which I do think Detroit needs. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm a believer in what they're doing, even though I know it's less exciting uh, with so many kids on the farm. Yeah, part of this is a team that's overachieving, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so so they're overachieving, and if they were, you know, where we thought they were going to be, then this wouldn't even be a conversation. It would be like, yeah, this is what you do, and you keep your young guys out of that losing situation, and you let them grow on the farm, and you let them win a Calder Cup together, which they may very well do with the team with the team they have, right? But but as you say, Matt, this is this is the Detroit way. I mean, Steve Eiserman. You know, he was groomed under Kenny Holland and Jim Devilano. Jim Devilano, who, who, if uh, you know, we can just take a moment to, to, to um, uh, just give our thoughts and and you know, and if you're inclined, your prayers for Jimmy Devilano, who's undergoing brain surgery today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, they these guys. He came up at the foot of these guys, and that's how he learned, and, and they've always wanted their prospects to be overripe. The only one that really they didn't do it with was Dylan Larkin, and that's because he just made the decision impossible for them to send him down to the farm. I mean, look at Anthony Mantha. Like, Anthony Mantha, there was a time when he was almost out of the organization, yeah. right? So, um, you know, so that's that's just the way they do things. And I think this is a team that's overachieving. I think this is also a team where it's a little bit smoke and mirrors and they're probably going to regress a little bit and this won't be as big of a, of a talking point mm-hmm. probably in a month. Yeah, I think that that Saturday night loss against Toronto was probably more indicative of who these Red Wings are, where it's like, you can't hang with the upper half of your division yet. Right. And maybe yeah. maybe next year you'll be closer to it, but right now you don't have the horses. And and that's okay. I mean, they're not there yet, and that's why you keep all those guys in Grand Rapids. And I think that, yeah, you, you nailed it. Go for that Calder Cup championship. Have this huge group of kids, which includes Joe Valeno, who is in Grand Rapids as a 19-year-old because he had the exceptional status. So he's right. there a year earlier than usual, even though he was a CHLer. Get all these kids going. Get them to know each other. Your Zadinas, Valenos, Rasmussen, Giovanni Smith. You know, on Siders. defense, you got yeah. yeah, you got Cider and Chalowski on defense. You know, Ronick is already up, and I think we re- we just have to call him Heronic, even though it's because I just always think that Jeremy, Jeremy Ronick's yeah, kidding. Yeah, 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 you yeah, said yeah, I was like yeah. Jeremy yeah. Ronick. I know yeah, it's yeah, very confusing, yeah. but Ronick's already up there and, and looking like pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, great shot. But keep thinking about the future. This is not your year. I, somebody the other day thought that the Mantha Bertuzzi line was like the best in the NHL, and it's like. 
Yeah. Hold up. Slow it down. It was for the first couple of games. Yeah. yeah, yeah for yeah, a couple yeah, of games, yeah, yeah. all right. But yeah, let's. Yeah. But I, I, I'm yeah. like, I'm not sure any of these guys. I mean, with the exception of maybe Moritz Sider, I don't think any of these guys were banging the door down this year mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. on that roster. I mean, you know, Zadina was not. Like, you could make the case it's, that Philip Zadina is not ready to play in the NHL yeah. quite easily. Quite yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these guys, they didn't really. Make it a diff like a super super difficult decision. Yeah, that's the culture they're establishing, right? Yeah. I think we've said it before. Yeah. You got to earn it, earn your way on. Yeah. You're not, yeah. it's, nothing's going to be handed to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, that's it for the podcast this week and the live stream. Thank you everybody for watching, watching or listening. Thank you to our sponsor, Christian Hockey. We will be back later this week. Thank you.